0: Morning, Stonebridge Church. I think by now I've been here enough times. Most of you guys know me. I know there's a new couple that I got to have a chance to meet this morning real quick. And um, so if you don't know who I am, my name is Steve. I'm actually on the pastoral staff over at Cornerstone Church in Ames, and I'm gonna be working on planting a church in Marshalltown. Uh, hopefully, God willing, in the near future, depending on what happens with coming out of COVID and all those kind of things. So, uh, I'm excited to be here with you this morning, and excited to to be able to help welcome you back home, welcome you back to your home church. I know we've been all in our living rooms, like worshiping in our pajamas, all those kind of things, and like for some of you guys, like the masks are the best thing because nobody can tell that you're not singing now, so you're not getting like the elbow nudge or things like that. But it's like we're we're back together now, and this is. This is a good time. And so I'm excited to be here this morning with you, to be able to welcome you back in, to be able to open up God's word and continue through this gospel according to Genesis series. So before that real quick, uh, I think again, some of you guys know my story, but I grew up going to church every single Sunday, like the gold stickers on the attendance sheet, like all those kind of things. Vacation Bible school every summer, Sunday school classes, eventually when I was old enough, like summer camp, and it was like all of those things. I was like doing all of those religious things that like we were supposed to do growing up. And in the process of that, I heard all of the Bible stories about how Noah and the ark and Daniel and the lion's den and David and all of these guys. And I, I grew up with this feeling of like, man, like these guys were these amazing men of God, and that's why God chose them. And I just, like, always thought, like, I can't be that because I'm just me. And it wasn't until I actually got into college, really came to faith, started actually reading the Bible on my own, studying the Word of God, that I began to see more of the uh, non-Sunday school version of the stories. You know, you start reading through and you realize, like, these guys are actually total morons, and that is kind of like me. You start kind of actually like praying, like, Lord, like I, I hope my kids are better than me, and oh man, Lord, my, may my kids definitely be better than David. Like those kind of prayers that you start praying for your kids. And so we have all these like kind of things, and, and it was in the process of like going through that and beginning to read through Scripture and beginning to understand all that that I began to really realize that God actually redeems us because of His promises, not because of our faithfulness. That's a theme that we're going to see in the story today. So if you've struggled with the, that same fallacy, like these great men of the Bible, like thinking that you could never be that good, uh, maybe you even thought like, man, like Abram must have been this amazing guy for God to call him. So in the, in the words of a modern day philosopher, Dwight Schrute, false. <laughs> Abram was not an awesome guy. There's really nothing special about that guy. And we're going to see that a little bit more in this story this week. And last week, if, if you listen to Matt's message, he did an awesome job of introducing Abram and his true character, introducing this, this guy, Abram, and introducing, more importantly, God's upside-down economy of how God chooses undeserving recipients to unleash his grace onto us. So we're going to take that look at those next few chapters of Abram's story, but if you missed that or maybe you're not familiar with who this guy Abram is, I'll give you like the 30-second the recap. Abram is this guy that's living in a faraway land, knows nothing of who God is, and all of a sudden God comes to him and says, Abram, I'm choosing you, but I want you to leave everything you know. Leave your family, leave your friends, leave everything, and go to this place that I'm going to tell you. And if you do that, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you through giving you land and giving you descendants. And those that bless you, I'll bless them. And those that curse you, oh, I will curse them. And so there's these promises that center around land and descendants that Abram walks into. But beyond that, we really don't know a whole lot more. Again, thinking that this might be some super faith-filled guy, all we have to do is read the next part of the story to realize that that is not the truth at all. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's open up to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be starting in verse 10, and I want to just, we're going to kind of do some starts and stops as we go through these next few chapters, and I want to just look at this next picture with you. Now, there was a great famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to live there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. Now, guys, if you just stop there, sometimes we just say too much. Oh, Abram. So, uh, where was I at? I'd get distracted. Uh, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And then when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So, say you are my sister that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake he dealt well with Abram. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she was my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave him orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Needless to say, this is not going to be a message about how to be a rock star husband. Not the main theme of what this is going to be about. Basically, guys, I'll give you like the the one quick uh, marriage tip from this message: Uh, Don't be Abram. Don't try to pass your wife off as your sister. Just not a good idea. So that's like the one marriage tip we'll do, and then we'll kind of get back into Abram's story here. Like really, this as we read this, like that story is so jarring. We're like, when you read that for the first time ever, you're kind of like, wait, I'm sorry, did I just? What did he just do? Because just the, the concept of it seems so foreign in our idea at all that that would be okay, that would be acceptable in any way, and more that she even goes along with it. But to understand this a little bit more, oftentimes we have to like begin to understand what was going on in the culture that this happened in or the, the culture that it was written to to begin to understand how does that really, how, how do we get this? So in that culture, they were living in what's called an honor culture. And there's still certain cultures across the globe that still live in that same idea. But the whole thing was, it's all about honor. And if somebody that's greater than you sees something that you have that they want, they just take it because they have that right, they have that ability. And if that happens to you, then you lose honor and you go down on the pegs. So this really isn't about Abram's wife at all. This is about him wanting to keep his honor in the Egyptian culture where he's going into. So, as a result of that, he's willing to sacrifice his wife, who the promise of descendants was going to be through. Ultimately, this shows how Abram doesn't really trust that promise that God gave him. You see, first, Abram just left the land. So, the two promises, land, descendants, he just left the land that God had promised to him. The famine hits and Abram panics. Second, God had just promised him all of these descendants, and what does he do? He gives away his wife, who these promises are supposed to come through. This is the big test, though. In that moment of crisis, is Abram going to rely on the promise of God, or will he be a coward and shrink back to what he thinks he can control? Now, the results of this are actually almost more shocking after Abram does this crazy thing. God doesn't punish him, he actually protects Sarai, and he allows Abram and Sarai to leave with actually more than they came into Egypt with. It's just crazy, it just doesn't even make sense that that would be what happens here. Now I want to like hit pause for a second and think about this in the midst of where we're at right now. So uh, we're not living in a famine per se, but we are living in the midst of crisis, this is the first time as a church we've been gathered together in what, eight, 10 weeks, whatever it's been now. So we're in the middle of crisis. Everybody's wearing masks, six foot distancing, all those kind of things. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. If Abram was going through COVID 19, how would he react? Abram would be the dude hoarding toilet paper. And if he couldn't find toilet paper, he'd be buying extra Joel Osteen books just in case. He would be the guy, and I'm sure you've seen this person driving around town, driving in his car, windows up, face mask and shield on as the only person in the car. I don't get that, but that would be Abram. That's how he'd be driving around. That's how what he would be doing. He would be freaking out as if the world is about to end. But instead of throwing some stones at Abram, let's turn the mirror back on ourselves and realize that oftentimes we are a lot more like abram than we really care to admit how are you handling this crisis how are you weathering this storm getting ready for this winter even though it's summer that might have just confused you but this this long extended winter goofiness that we're going through this isn't even though we're gathering together this isn't normal yet This is going to take time to get back to normal. So how are you weathering that? Is this a time where you are trusting in the promises that God has given you? Or is this a time where you are running around like your hair is on fire? I've had both moments. I'll be totally candid and honest with you. There's been times where I've lived in fear and there's been times where I've just had to say, I can't control any of this, so God, this has to be on you. Now, I'm glad that Abram's story doesn't end there. Over the next two chapters, we begin to see the redemption of Abram's life, the redemption based on the promises that God has given. You see, God's plan is to take broken people who fail and transform them through grace, which that's really the gospel message in a nutshell. So let me just say it one more time in case you missed that. The story of the gospel is taking broken people and transforming them through grace grace. God actually does that in four different ways that we're going to see. Four different ways of how God fulfills the promises to Abram by transforming Abram through the promises. Because it's all about God's promises, not Abram's faithfulness. So let's pick back up and read the first few verses of chapter 13 together. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord To see this first way that God brings redemption to Abram's life is to bring him to worship There's no evidence Of Abram calling on the name of the Lord before he went to Egypt. Famine hit, panic set in, he ran away. He ran to what he thought he could control. But now, here, we see Abram going back immediately to the place where he had built an altar and he worships. He falls on his knees and he says, God, you delivered me when I didn't deserve deliverance. You brought me redemption when I didn't deserve redemption. This I just want to offer myself back up to you and you just worships. See, the more our minds can dwell on what God has done in us, the more we are moved to worship God. So for you, in this time of crisis, has your go-to been to worship? Has your go-to been to fall on your knees before the God that loves you and to say, God, this has to be you? Again, that's not always been my first go-to. I've got four kids at home trying to do school at home, trying to like work from home, managing all that stuff, and sometimes frustration kicks in, or sometimes just like the fear of like life kicks in, and like my go-to isn't always worship. And so I'm trying to work on growing in my first step of going to worship. May you grow in worship of the god that has given you so rich of promises the next part of the story i'm going to quick summarize a little chunk here just because i want to be like timing wise we got to like clean this whole place in between so i'm going to like summarize a couple steps here so abram this next little thing after they worship All of a sudden you have like Abram, all of his livestock and his people. Then you've got Lot, his nephew, all of his livestock and people. And so basically what's happening is like the land area that they're in isn't big enough for both of them. And so Abram, the older, goes to Lot, the younger, and says, hey, uh, we're, we're kinsmen. I don't really want this to get awkward. I don't want this to get weird. So let's separate. Let's go two different ways. If you go to the left, then I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. But you pick first and then I'll take whatever's left over, and we'll be able to continue to live. So, Lot lifts up his eyes. He sees the Jordan Valley. That's this lush place. He even even relates it back to, like, the Garden of the Lord, the the Garden of Eden, this just beautifully watered area. And Lot says, wisely, probably, thinking of just that part, I'll go there. So, Abram says, all right, you go that way, I'll go this way. So, his lot traveled off to the east. Now, the result of what happens after that and before that even, I want to contrast that attitude for a second with Abram of chapter 12. Abram of chapter 12, famine hits, panic sets in, and he runs with his hair on fire to Egypt. But here, Abram is trusting. He's letting go of any semblance of control, He's saying, Lot, you pick because I know that whether I go to the left or I go to the right, I know that God is going to bless me. I know that God's promises are going to follow me. So you choose, and I'll take whatever is left. See, Abram is growing in his contentment in the Lord at this point. And the result of this is just striking. Chapter 13, verse 14 What helps Abram grow in his contentment in this situation? It's the same promise that it was at the beginning of chapter 12 that Matt talked about last week, land and descendants. It's the same promise. But now Abram's experience is different. It's the same promise, but having already experienced God delivering him from his own stupidity, based on the experiences that we have and how God remains faithful in those times can oftentimes make those promises become more real. Sometimes it seems like too good to be true. We don't really fully trust God, what He's saying, but then all of a sudden something happens and we're like, okay, wait, wait, hold on a second. God really meant that. And the reality can begin to set in and then in our brokenness, it actually becomes easier to trust God after we have seen how he remains faithful in those tough circumstances. You know, for us, Abram had these awesome promises, land and descendants, but we actually have an even greater promise that's given to us in light of the New Testament, in light of Christ at the cross and the resurrection that he had. Paul in Romans 8 says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So, let's put that in light of where we're at here. Abram had this promise of land and offspring. The promise to us as co-heirs with Christ is actually that the land is not just a little section in the Middle East, but the land is actually God's entire domain of everything that He has. He calls us as His children to come in and be co-heirs of that And the descendants isn't just one people group, but it's actually the entire world, all believers, that we get to be co-heirs and family with in the midst of that. So the promises that God gives us are so much greater than the promise that was even given to Abram. And so if Abram could trust, based on his experience, how much more should we be able to trust because the promise that we have is even greater that we put our trust in? So may you grow to trust in the promises that God has given you through Christ Jesus, and may you grow to be content where you are based on the promises of God. And we get to the the third way that God is redeeming Abram here. The first section of chapter 14, again, there's a bunch of names I'm not going to be able to pronounce right, so we're just going to do a good pastor trick and summarize this section. So basically, you've got this war that begins to break out between these, these four kings are trying to fight against these five kings. And at first, it seems like, why is this even entered into here? We don't get this. But ultimately, at the end, the four kings beat the five kings. And then those five king, or the four kings that have beat them begin to like take all of their stuff and begin to go away, and we begin to see why this is important. In verse 11 of chapter 14, So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and went their way. So we see why this is important. Now let's look at Abram's response in the midst of this. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew who was living by the oaks of Mamre. When Abram heard this, that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them. Then he brought back all the possessions and had brought back his kinsmen Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. All right. Um, Abram, who had just been a coward... Abram, who had just tried to pass his wife off as his sister because he was a coward, all of a sudden hears that there's these four kings that just kidnapped his nephew, is like, hey, you 318 dudes, we're going to go catch those four kings and their armies and take them out. doesn't even sound like the same guy. I think here, though, Abram is beginning to really trust the promises that God gave him. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all of a sudden, Abram realizes whether I've got 318 or just 18. I'm pursuing this because it's not us that's doing the battle, but it's the Lord that goes into the battle for us. And I'm putting my faith not in our strength. I'm putting my faith in God's strength to deliver us from this. This is where... It's a little touchy potentially, though. As I was brushing my teeth this morning, even as looking through different news feeds of things that are going on in the world, uh, we've, we've, we're all recognizing the COVID-19 crisis that we're living in that's affecting all of us, but what about when a crisis doesn't affect you? What about when there's a crisis that's not directly tied to you or your livelihood or who you are? Abram in that moment could have just said, hey, Lot's on his own, and let him go. But instead, he grabs 318 men and charges in. I've been hit really hard this last week with everything that's going on up in Minneapolis. George Floyd. I don't know where you fall in the whole idea of what's happened there and whether where you fall politically or any of that kind of stuff. So I'm not trying to step on toes of that. But I just want to ask, when a crisis hits and it doesn't affect you, does your heart break for the people it affects? We have brothers and sisters of different color, different background, different experiences than we have. It is our go-to to run into that battle, even though it seems like us and our 318 friends aren't gonna do anything against four kings. When we sitting with a friend when I was living up in Dubuque, we actually grew up really close to each other in Chicago suburbs, but he grew up in a very different area than I did. I grew up in a poor black family. I grew up in a middle-class white family, and I remember asking my friend Jonathan, Jonathan, what's it like for you when you get pulled over? And he was telling me through tears that he honestly, like, anytime he gets pulled over and he sees those lights, that he's not sure if he's actually going to make it through it because of experiences that he's had that I have never had. See, I've never worried about that, most of us in this room have never worried about that because it's not a crisis that has affected us. So I'm not trying to say this as like some sort of political statement or anything. I'm not, I'm not saying like side with the rioters or not. Like none of that stuff. I'm just saying is your heart breaking when there's an issue in our culture? When there's a crisis that doesn't affect you, are you willing to take your 318 friends and go charge into it or not? Even just going here, I had to grow in my courage because I was actually afraid even to say this because it's such a touchy topic, but when we grow as believers in our courage to address the tough crises that may not affect us, but affect our brothers and sisters in Christ. We get to the fourth way that God is redeeming Abram. After he has just conquered these four kings with 318 men, He's coming back, and in verse 17, after his return from the defeat of Chadler and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is, the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed them and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons but the goods but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the God, Lord most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who are with me. Let Aner, Eshal, and Mamre take their share. Abram has just come off of the biggest victory, the biggest underdog story of all time. 318 men taking on four kings. And Abram could have been tempted to let that victory go to his head. He could have been tempted to come walking back in and be like, boom, did you see me? Did you see how awesome that was? Look here. But instead, because you see that Abram had sought the Lord before he went into that, and that the courage that he had came from the Lord and his trust that he had came from the Lord, that he walks into that situation, he comes out of that situation and he says, no, no, this was not about me. And Abram remembers to humble himself and point back the glory to the one that deserves it. And Abram's reaction out of this, like we could go into, we could do an entire sermon on this guy Melchizedek and all of the different like, things about him and how he like, points to Jesus and all those kind of things. But We just don't have the time this morning to do that. But what I want you to see is Abram's response out of this. So he has all of this stuff before he's giving anything back to the other kings, He's reminded that everything that he has was given to him by God, and his first reaction is to give a tenth of it away, to give a tenth of it to this guy, Melchizedek, who was a king and a priest. And then after that, he doesn't even want any of the rest of the spoil. He gives it all back because he says, I don't want you taking glory for what God has done. I'm not taking the glory. You don't get to take the glory either. How do we respond when God has brought us into a victory in our life? How do we respond? You see, Abram, I think giving that tenth away, giving 10% back to this prophet, or this priestly king is saying just that reminder, that heart attitude, that heart check, that everything that I have is ultimately God's. And so by keeping my hands open and by giving it away, I'm again bringing it back to this is not about me, but this is actually about God. And so take it because it's not mine and I don't want it to corrupt me in that. And so that heart attitude of giving what we have, even a portion of that back to God, actually is just a a heart attitude of how we begin to say everything that we have is because of God. It's not about a legalism of like, oh, did you give 10%? Ooh, only 9%. I'm sorry, that's a demerit in in the little checkbook thing. No, it's about the hard attitude of even just saying that everything that I have is God's. So here we see Abram being redeemed through humility. Earlier, he was afraid of being humiliated. But here, he humbles himself. May we grow In our humility before God as we regularly remember that God is that great promise keeper. He is the one that fulfills the promises. I want you just to think with me for a second. Think about the people you're interacting with, which I know is a lot more limited right now. So whether you are still going into work or like interacting with neighbors, or like whoever you're interacting with, as the watching world watches the church right now, What would happen if we as believers began to walk through life based on God's fulfilled promises to us instead of worrying and being anxious? I was listening to a conference via video, because obviously we can't gather together in large crowds, and one of the pastors said, moments of crisis are always opportunities for the church to make Jesus known and invite others into His kingdom. We might think that our ability to be evangelistic, we might think that our ability to share who Jesus is is limited because we can't interact with people right now, but actually people watch what you do way more than they listen to what you say. So the way that you're responding to this crisis that we're in, the way that you respond to the crises that other people go through is actually going to do so much more for people to see who Jesus is than anything that you say. So may we, as a church, continue to grow in our trust of God's promises, recognizing that we are the broken ones. We are the broken pieces that God is putting back together to make his beautiful church. And it's in the hands of that great God that takes the brokenness and makes something beautiful. Just like Abram was redeemed through worship and contentment and courage and humility, may God work in us in those same ways. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we stand here.